0: It is good to see all of you. I am so excited about our Advent series, um, Christmas in Time, A Date with History. Um, And uh, John Schultz, he's back up with the camera. Uh, He designed uh, this for our series. Isn't that great? Didn't you do a good job with that? John, thank you for, for doing that. You are very gifted. We're grateful to have you. Let me tell you how the series came about. I feel like I'm getting a little bit of feedback, and I'm not sure where that's coming from, so thanks. I appreciate that. Um, Every year, around about August or so, Tyler and I gather, and we start talking about Advent, and we start talking about the sermon series. And here's the challenge, uh, at least for us and for me as a pastor. How do you communicate the truth of Advent uh, in a new and a fresh way? Uh, The challenge is for many of us, we are overly familiar with the story, aren't we? We've heard the birth narratives out of Matthew, we've heard the birth narratives out of Luke. And we've heard great expositors and preachers of God's Word um, share insights from those. Uh, And how do you do that in a fresh and a new way? How do you do that? So we were talking, uh, Tyler and I were, and uh, we were reflecting back on previous Advent series And there was one that people really seemed to engage and like. You might remember it was a couple of Advents ago where I did the history of Christmas hymns. And then talked about how they came about, uh, who the authors were, and the theology behind them. And the hope there was that when we sing those hymns that we would Never sing them in the same way again because we had a better understanding of how they came about and the good theology that's contained in them. Do you remember that? Yeah, I got a lot of good feedback from that. So Tyler and I were talking, and he says, Well, Todd, you you have a really, you have a love for history. It's something I, I just read incessantly, okay? It's what I like to do. And he says, why don't you kind of tie an Advent series into history somehow? And I said, boy, that's a great idea. And so we just kind of thought about it for a while. And this idea came up of Christmas in time, uh, a date with history. And the, and the whole idea behind the series is this, that throughout history, December 25th has been a significant date some really significant historical events have happened uh, on the day that we set aside uh, to celebrate Christmas or or the birth of our Savior. And in each of those events, and uh, we're going to look at several here during Advent time, we get an insight into the human heart. And in those events and in the history surrounding them, uh, we see Uh, humanity trying to fulfill a longings of some kind that ultimately only God can fulfill and God did fulfill in the most important event um, that we celebrate on December 25th and that's the birth of his son Jesus. And so last week Tyler looked and uh, he talked about revelation, and of course, December 25th uh, was the launch of the World Wide Web. And he talked about revelation and communication and, 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 and deep in our hearts, uh, in humanity. We, we long for uh, the best information. Information that changes our life and enriches. And we, we long to communicate that, that information uh, with one another. But also deep into our hearts, there's that God-shaped vacuum. And whether we all realize it or not, there's a longing we try to meet in other ways through various forms of receiving revelation, if you will, or communication. Um, that really is intended to be met through a relationship with God as he reveals himself, the revelation of who God is in a relationship with him and the communication that we have with him. Uh, and, and so on all of our attempts, they, they pale by comparison um, to God. And of course, the revelation of Christmas, the birth, of our Savior, God, Emmanuel, God with us. Wow, right? You really can't top that. Not even the World Wide Web can do that. Uh, and so we think about that. And in this week, um, we're going to be looking at another very historic event. But here's the point. That just as each of these events were important in perhaps... Uh, the history of our nation, or we're going to look at some that are much broader than that, the history of the world. It's Christmas in time. And uh, that time continues. And this year, uh, December 25th, 2019, we will have another Christmas. And you and I have a date with history. You see, there's still history to be made on December 25th. But the history that we're a part of, the the history that that we're making is a continuation of the history of the event that we celebrate in the birth of our Savior. And the good news is that each of us, not only on December 25th, but in the days that, uh, that amount to our lives, our time on earth, we have an opportunity to make history we have an opportunity to be a part of uh, God's work in the world uh, to make a difference uh, to influence and and to change lives and ultimately the course of human history to make a difference in the lives eternally in those around us and so we too have Christmas in time and we too have a date with history and the opportunity um, to do something very, very significant. So with that, let's get into this week. Now, you are all familiar with this picture, aren't you? That's a, an iconic picture uh, in American history, early American history, uh, going back to the founding of our nation and the Revolutionary War. And, of course, who is that? That's George Washington. They call him uh, the father of our nation, right? And this is the iconic picture of Washington crossing the Delaware River, going from Pennsylvania across the Delaware uh, in an invasion of Trenton, New Jersey, uh, where there was a garrison of about 1,400 or so Those are German soldiers. They were mercenaries of sort that were signed on with uh, Britain uh, to battle the colonists. Uh, And they were there. They were ensconced. They were very seasoned, experienced soldiers. And this was the famous crossing that took place on Christmas Day. And, of course, there you see the father, if you will, of the nation in, in front of the flag as he is crossing uh, this ice-filled Delaware River uh, in, in the face of what is known as a, a nor'easter. It's like a hurricane-like storm that, that often a low that kind of settles off the New England coast and uh, can really bring savage winter weather. And of course, this is what was going on when he, uh, with his soldiers, uh, crossed the, the the Delaware River. Okay. Uh, ironically, historically, a little tidbit: um, this picture was painted by a German artist in the year 1851. Okay, 1851. And his motivation for painting it in Germany was Germany was in a time in which there was lots of political upheaval and, 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 and they were kind of working themselves out of what they were going to look like as a country. And he wanted this picture to inspire the German people to do something bold and courageous. Uh, in their own nation during that time, isn't that ironic? And that commemorates the defeat of what? Hessian soldiers. So there's a little bit of irony in that, isn't there? A little bit of historical tidbit. Um, you you saw the um, the script from the introduction. Uh, 1776. Man, it was a it was a dark, perilous time. Uh, of course, in July 4th, um, the Declaration of Independence had been signed. Uh, but now, uh, it's one thing to declare your independence, but now it had to be won and established uh, as the colonists fought um, King George, the monarchy, and the Empire of Great Britain. Right? England. And During the early days and years, or first couple years of the war, of the conflict, um, things didn't go well for the colonists. Um, There were little small victories, but never really winning fully a battle. People were doubting, can we really pull this off? Uh, Troops whose enlistment was coming to an end and they were saying, hey, you know what? We're not re-upping, we're not re-enlisting. There's not much chance of winning. Congress was very nervous, very little in the way of, of money, right, to support this revolution. Things just weren't going well. And what the colonists needed and what Congress was hoping for was that under the leadership of General Washington, there could be a significant victory, something that would uh, be, stir the hearts of the people, that would give them hope that they could win, that would keep them engaged, that would keep the soldiers wanting to reenlist and be a part of the army. Uh, They were, in a sense, looking for that Hail Mary pass at the end of the game, They were looking for a miracle, just something. And so Washington and um, his command, they planned this crossing, hoping it would do that. And of course there um, were the Hessian soldiers in Trenton, New Jersey. Now, a lot of people don't know that there were three groups that Washington had planned to to go across the Delaware at different points. And they were to converge in a siege and then the defense of the city. And they were expecting a counterattack from the British Army. But on that night, the storm was so great, Washington, not knowing, had given the command to cross the river. And as he did that, he got word that Already, the, some of the soldiers, their ammunition, their powder was wet, and uh, that you now we're in trouble before the thing even begins. And he gave the command, well, then tell them to fix bayonets. And he wrote a letter and he sent it out to his other commanders who were supposed to be a part of the attack, the three prong attack. And he said, um, We're going to cross. We're not going to turn back. And then he writes these words, victory or death. This is it. The future of this new nation, of this revolution, is going to be decided. Something significant is going to happen here. And he was determined. Well, the other two commanders were the other groups of troop that had horses and had cannons and things that were needed. Um to defend the city once it was taken, they didn't successfully cross, but Washington had no idea of that. And so he went across with just his group, about 2,400 men. And they went across in these flat-bottom boats in in the face of this gale and this storm that was just horrendous. And it took much longer to cross. They were hoping to... To start the attack in Trenton by first light, but it was almost 9 o'clock in the morning by the time they were ready and prepared to go. Now, here's the irony of this the British command had been tipped off that there was going to be this invasion, this attack. And they had given the word to the Hessian commander, a, a commander whose last name was Rawl. But they thought this can't possibly happen in this horrible weather. No one would be crazy enough to to do this. And so he didn't take it very seriously. Then a loyalist got word to the Hessians. Hey, across the river is a colonial army and, and, and they're getting ready to come across to make a crossing and he just counted that too. And, and so they had been tipped off. And yet they ignored what they'd been told. And the crossing happened. Well, the battle lasted 45 minutes. Four, four uh, American troops, if you will, were wounded. One of them, uh, a young lieutenant named uh, Monroe. He was to be a future president of the United States. Uh, There were only two casualties. Washington's army. uh, Two deaths. And they weren't killed in the battle. They were men who froze to death along the way. Okay? Over 900 Hessian troops were taken prisoner. And it was celebrated as a resounding victory. In fact, some said it was so miraculous that it was truly the work of the divine that they gave credit for. As a result, it was just what they had hoped for. The troops who were getting ready to leave because their enlistment ended they signed on again, and Washington, without the permission of Congress, gave them the promise of a ten-dollar bonus for reenlisting. Now, think about that—ten dollars. Their monthly salary was three dollars a month, so ten dollars was pretty significant. And Washington, so bold, he just said, mm, "I promise you this, without Congress's approval." It was a great event, a significant event in the founding of this nation. December 25th, right? 1776. There's the picture. A military invasion that helped seal the fate of two nations. I want to show you another iconic picture now. And this iconic picture has to do with another invasion it's what Chuck Colson the late Chuck Colson calls a quiet invasion there it is okay I'm going to read for you uh, I'm going to read for you what I wrote about this as we plan our worship service every week I, I write just a little paragraph a synopsis of what the sermon and the message is going to focus on um for the worship team as a plan. So I'm just going to read you what I wrote to them about this quiet invasion. It said God crossed the expanse between heaven and earth, not with a forceful invading army that was the hope of many waiting for the Messiah, but in the womb of an obscure peasant girl, a virgin, who gave birth to a babe in a manger, our savior. There was no pomp or fanfare, shots fired or prisoners taken. Just the hope of our enemies' defeat and freedom for those held captive by sin and death. God became like us in order to die for us. Our victory, your victory, my victory, was won through a, a quiet Invasion. Now, at the time of Jesus' birth, the Jewish people were suffering great political oppression. They were a people that had been conquered, had been um, taken into exile, had come back, had reestablished themselves. But one invading force or army after another had laid siege, and of course on Jerusalem. Uh, And there was a garrison of Roman soldiers. In fact, Rome was the empire. They were the powerful force of the time. And people were hoping for, they were expecting, they were praying, they were wanting, finally relief from the oppression that was to come in the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah, the Anointed One, the Chosen One of Israel, who would sit on the throne of David and restore his kingdom. That's what the hope was. That's what they were looking for. And during this time, there were many who came and left who claimed to be Messiah or claimed to be the one who would lead the revolution, or would free them from the oppression of of Rome. But each of those came and went, um, but still they waited in great expectation. And so, on a quiet night, in the darkness of night, in a time in which people were hoping for relief, God did something in a way that nobody expected. He transcended, not a, a river, right, between two states, Pennsylvania and New Jersey. He transcended heaven to earth. And he crossed He crossed that great expanse and he did so in a quiet way arriving in the, the womb of a virgin girl right and she would give birth to Jesus our Emmanuel which means God with us God with us. And in this quiet invasion, Jesus would lead the way. He would be out in front of his people, of those who would come to follow him and trust him, who would believe in his teaching, in the hope that he would give. It's interesting. We live in a time in which people... Love the story of the the virgin birth, not of the virgin birth, but of the birth of Jesus. And they would take the whole idea that this is the virgin birth and they would dispute it. They would say that's folklore, that's a story, that it's really not God with us. Thank you, Sherry. That this was an ordinary birth of a baby who would grow up to be just an extraordinary man. And and that really is what a lot of people think. And so they gather every December 25th and they celebrate the birth of Jesus. They get in on the party, right? It's pretty fun, very festive. A lot of good things happen. But Jesus was more than a human. He was who? God incarnate. Fully divine and fully human. Right? And in that, he accomplished for us the things we'd hoped for, but that we could not do for ourselves. Out in the lobby, you'll find these little booklets. This is called Why Christmas? And it's by uh, Nikki Gumbel. He's a person who started the Alpha Movement. Remember that, Alpha? I believe we did it here at one time. And uh, this is a great little booklet that you might want to take and give to somebody who maybe doesn't really know much about Christmas or not familiar with Jesus. Or it, It's a very, very good way of introducing them to what Christmas is all about. But in here, he writes, who is Jesus? And I want to just read you this section. To give you an idea, he says, Jesus was and is the Son of God. Some people think he's just a good religious teacher. However, that suggestion does not fit with the facts. Jesus claimed to be, and the scripture that we're going to look at here claims that Jesus is the unique Son of God and on equal footing with God. In fact, Jesus is God, He's God incarnate. He assumed the authority to forgive sins. He said that one day he would judge the world. And that, what would matter then, would be how we responded to him in this life. Okay? Now, this is what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis pointed out, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He would be either insane or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice, Lewis writes. Either Jesus was and is the Son of God, or else he was insane or evil. But, C.S. Lewis goes on, let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He, meaning Jesus, has not left that open to us. He did not intend to and as you may be familiar with Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic or he's Lord he's one of those but he can't just be a great moral teacher great little booklet the scripture from the very beginning tells us who Jesus is Matthew 1, 20 through 21. Matthew's birth narrative. And, of course, this is part of the scripture that was read for Advent this morning. Here's an excerpt from it. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Then there was Mary. And here's how Mary received the message. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. That's a valid question, don't you think? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And so we're already seeing in Matthew's birth narrative and Luke's birth narrative, we're already getting a picture of the identity, the person, the work of who this baby is. And what he's born and going to do. That he is going to be the fulfillment. Uh, In the fullness of time. The time has come in which God is going to fulfill the promises. That he had made to the Jewish people. And that fulfillment was going to come through Jesus. Messiah. Savior. The one who would establish a kingdom on the throne of David. That would be forever. And, of course, the shepherds in Luke 2, 11 through 12, they, they received a similar message. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Okay? Lying in a manger. Let's make no mistake, the baby born on Christmas Day is God incarnate. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. John writes in the beginning of his gospel, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, why did he come? in the quiet invasion. History records that Washington led the troops across the Delaware to strike a blow that would spur on the colonists in their war against Great Britain, okay? They wanted freedom from oppression. That's what they wanted. They wanted to be free. Of the grip that England had over them. Jesus comes in the quiet invasion. And he came to set us free. From the tyranny of evil. From sin. And from its consequences, death. And so Jesus comes to lead that quiet invasion. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's you and me, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. 1 okay? John 3.8 says this. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Let's make no mistake about it. He came to destroy the work, the oppression, the tyranny of the evil one. And I love Romans 5, 6. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God showed his power by sending Christ to die for us at exactly the right time. Now, there's two words In scripture for the word time, right? In Greek, chronos and kairos. Chronos is like, what time is it? Well, it's almost 10 o'clock. That's chronos. Kairos refers to a moment in time. It refers to something that happens at just the right time. And the word here that's used in Romans 5, 6 is chiron. It's referring to that moment in time. It's called a, a Kairos moment. It's a special moment in time. God showed his power by sending Christ to die for us exactly at the right time. Jesus arrived, lived, died, and was resurrected. At a moment in history when his action would accomplish the most good for God's plan. God's timing too was motivated by this. By his love for all of us who are godless people. Before knowing our Savior. For God so loved the world. I love what Paul writes in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Speaking of us, (laughs) you were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Other versions call it the uncircumcision of our flesh, okay? Because our sinful nature had not yet been cut away, then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all of our sins, having canceled the charge <clears throat> of our legal indebtedness. <clears throat> that being under the law, <clears throat> we could not keep the law. There was a legal indebtedness. Which stood against us and condemned us. And he is taking it away. Now I want you to imagine this. Imagine a legal writ of your indebtedness because of your sin. And imagine Jesus dying for you, literally, the charges against you nailed to the cross with him. And as a result, God would say and declare you not guilty. Of the things that you've done. Not guilty. Not guilty. The theological word for that is you've been justified. Right? And that's what Paul's talking about here. The legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He is taking it away. Nailing it to the cross. Wow. Wow. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Amen, huh? Isn't that good stuff? Uh, History records when Washington uh, was successful in his invasion of Trenton, that the British were shamed. They were enraged. They were so angry. They immediately launched plans for a counterattack. Okay? Because Washington had made a public spectacle of them taking over 900 Hessian prisoners. That is nothing compared to the victory that Jesus won for us on the cross. And how enraged the evil one was and is that he publicly in his victory on the cross shamed them. It's an amazing thing. Well, I've read this story before, but I want to conclude with this. It's one of my favorite illustrations of the Incarnation. And uh, if you've heard it before, just listen again. It it really drives home the point. I shared this with the Moms group on uh, Friday. It's called God at Eye Level. In an article written for the Christian Standard Magazine entitled, Carols for Any Season of Suffering... Matthew Proctor reflects on the incarnation. It's what we're looking at today. He says, my five-year-old Carl and my three-year-old Conrad love it when I dress like them. After they put on jeans and a blue t-shirt, they'll come and ask me to wear jeans and a blue t-shirt. When I do, they have a saying... They'll survey me, survey themselves, and say, Look, Dad, same, same. <laughs> same, same. For my birthday, Carl bought me a North Carolina blue mesh shirt. Because he has a North Carolina blue mesh shirt. We could be same, same. When I play living room football with my boys, Conrad will not let me play standing. So big and scary and towering above him, the theological term for this is called completely other. Instead, he insists I get down on my knees. When I'm down at eye level, Conrad puts his hand on my shoulder and says, There, Dad, see? Same, same. They like it. When I enter their world. This summer, I scraped my leg working on my house. When Conrad fell down and scraped his leg, he pointed to my scab, then showed me his and said, Hey, Dad, same, same. Here's the point. And here's the point of the quiet invasion God Himself has felt what we feel. In the incarnation, he chose not to stay completely other. He got down at eye level in the incarnation. God experienced what it's like to be tired and discouraged. He knows what it's like to hurt and to bleed. On the cross, Jesus himself prayed a psalm of lament. Psalm 22:1, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In your pain, you may be tempted to say, God, you have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea how bad I'm hurting. But God can respond, yes, I do. Yes, I do. He can point to your wounds and then to his own. Then to his own wounds. and say, look, same, same, me too. I have entered your world, and I know how you feel. I've been there, and I am with you now. I care, and I can help. This is what Christmas is all about. Same, same.